to be blessed with the word. Amen. Um, it's an honor for me to introduce our speaker. Um, he's family. He also a colleague, which we did jail, jail ministry together. And many times we rehearse with each other over the word many times. And we thank the Lord for him. And this is a blessing because through generation, where Watkins continuously have been blessed when we come to this church. Amen. So I ask for y'all to stand. Amen. Where we can welcome this brother in. I know you're going to be well uh, uh, served for as a good teacher, preacher. And I'd like to, right now to introduce the song. Amen. A minute to know Elder Julian Watkins. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. Amen. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord one more time. I want to thank the Lord for giving us health, life, breath, and strength this morning. Thank the Lord for family, not just my own personal family, but my NLCC family, New Life Community Church. For Lord uh, knows that we need each other to survive. We need each other. It is by the testimony of the saints. And it's by the blood of the lamb that we are able to overcome as we have. And there's a lot to overcome in these days in which we live right now. We just want to go ahead and open up with a quick word of prayer before we get into the message of the hour. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, for health, life, breath, and strength. We thank you, Lord God, that I believe most of us got up this morning in our right minds, Lord God, and we continue to have that right mind up to this time, Lord. We know, Lord God, that it is by your grace and by your mercy that we have anything, Lord God, for we know that all, every good thing, every good and perfect thing comes from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. We ask right now, Lord God, that you would bless as we get into this message today, this your word, Lord God. We ask that it would accomplish that which you have purposed, that it would not return void, Lord. And we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would bless this, your humble servant, that I might speak your words and your words only, Lord God, adding nothing to it and taking nothing away. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, we ask, we pray, and we thank you. And we ask, Lord, always that we not just be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have you stand as we go ahead and read through our scripture text today, and then we will let you be seated. We're going to be coming from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it reads, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself 
had a garment of camel's hair and a, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the districts around Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. For many, many weeks now, I have wanted to move on. I have wanted to change course, but for some reason I am stuck on these kinds of messages. I would like to come up here, stand before you, and make you happy and smile and jump for joy. I would, but I cannot hold my peace. I tried to look at some other passages. I tried to think of some other things that could be said today. This is not just a message for this church. It is a message for the universal church. And it is a message for those who are not yet in the ark of safety. Because time is winding up. And we need to get it right. We need to be about our father's business. And repentance is the only thing that can save us. Repentance is turning from sin and turning towards God. You may have a seat at this time. As we get into this message, my hope is that this will not be a heavy message. There will be some levity, I hope, some lightheartedness, but we still have to go ahead with what was given to us this morning. When I was growing up as a, a young boy, I spent a lot of time over at my grandparents' house after school, on Sundays after church. Oftentimes, I went over to uh, my Aunt Irene's house, my Aunt Ruth's house, and um, many times our parents uh, would leave us in their custody to be taken care of, and we had to do what they said while we were there. We had to treat them just like they were our parents because they had been given authority over us. There were on some occasions, though, when we did something wrong, and sometimes we would do something wrong after our parents had come to pick us up, and we were still there. And we would kind of forget who we were and forget where we were at, and we would maybe say or do something 
that we should not have said or done. And in the process, we would say something, and that grandparent or that aunt or that uncle would say, what did you say, Lloyd? Hmm? What did you say? You must be done lost your mind saying or doing what you just said or did, right? Don't think that just because your mama and your daddy are here that they can save you, okay? Because they can't. And guess what? Your father or your mother would be standing there looking at you and he'd do like this. Just turn his back. Be like, you can't talk to them that way. You can't behave that way just because I'm here and you can't hide behind me because I'm your father or because I'm your mother. These Pharisees and these Sadducees thought that they could run and hide behind Abraham, their father, and be exempt from the judgment and the condemnation that was coming. This was something that even in school, you'd be at school with a teacher, right? Anybody got a phone call from the teacher about your kid? Or were you ever one of those kids that your teacher had to call? Maybe I should ask that question. Were you one of those kids that had a phone call that went home to your mother or your father because you was acting out of sorts, saying something you shouldn't have been saying or doing, right? And the teacher would call you on it and say, you know what? You're not going to do that. Not here, right? And then some uppity little kid would say, I'm going to tell my mama and my daddy. That was the worst thing you could say. You know why? Because the teacher would say, good, because I already called them. I already told them what you did. I already told them what you said, right? And that was like the worst thing that could happen. If you were lucky, they would say, well, guess what? I was going to call them anyway right after school. But then you would be riding on the bus all the way home wondering what did they say to my mama what did they say to my daddy i'm gonna get it as can i can i walk home today i want to take my time getting home today huh because you didn't want to have to face what you was gonna have to face when you got home back in those days there was a sense of community there was a sense that what was good in one place was good in another right you weren't going to come home and act one way and then go over to your aunt's house and act another way, over to your grandmother's house and act another way, right? Over to your uncle's house and act this way. It was expected that there would be some consistency from one house to the next house to the next house, right? Even on your block, right? Mr. Jones, Mrs. Smith, right? They knew your mother and your father, and if they saw you doing something, that you wasn't supposed to be doing, you better stop doing it because it was just like doing it in front of your own parents. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. And society has paid the price as a result of those days being gone. So we knew that we could not run behind mama and daddy. We couldn't run to them with bad behavior or bad words, things that we should not be doing. We were taught to give honor to whom honor was due. And it wasn't a matter of, as they say today, well, you got to earn my respect, right? 
or you got to earn honor from me today. You, you respect me. First. This is what the kids are saying, right? You respect me because I'm a person too first, right? And then I'll see if I'll respect you or not. That's not how it was back then. If you were an older person and an adult, you showed respect to that person because they were older, they were aged, they were more wise and worthy of respect. These Pharisees of Jesus' day thought that they could run and hide behind their father Abraham, was, who was only their biological father, but not their spiritual father. Anybody know anything about biological fathers? <laughs> See, in our day and age, when you start talking about, yeah, yeah, he's my biological father, right? But he's my daddy. Do you understand the difference? Huh? Anybody know anything about that? He's my biological father, right? But he's my daddy. Now, sometime a long time ago, might, might, somebody might say, well, I'd rather be your biological father, right? Hmm? And then we'll work on the daddy part, right? But that child understands that this one over here is the one who is responsible for bringing me into the world, but this one is the one who's responsible for bringing me up in the world, right? This is the one who was there for me. This is the one who helped me. This is the one who helps to feed, clothe, or clothe and shelter me, right? This is the one who dresses my wound when I get a boo-boo, right? This is the one that tells me it's going to be okay with a pat on the head and a hug, right? And the one who wipes my tears as they fall down my face. That's not always necessarily the biological father. But you got some running around who think just because of who their biological father are, is that they should have certain things that maybe other people sh don't have, certain, um, how can you say, uh, things that that person can give to you because of who they are, the money they have, uh, certain expectations that they might have. Uh, certain things that, uh, that, that you believe that you are entitled to. And this is in keeping with the kind of generation that we live in right now, one where we have people who, who are coming up who believe that they are entitled to everything but responsible for nothing. Entitled to everything but responsible for nothing. You're supposed to give it to me because I'm your son. I'm, I'm, I'm your child. I'm your, uh, this is what you're supposed to do, right? with no kind of responsibility on their part whatsoever. And these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they had some issues with this because they thought that their mere birth into the world as Jews who were descendants of Abraham entitled them to be the children of God. Regardless of how they acted, regardless of what they did, regardless of their words or the condition of their heart, they believed that the only ones that needed to try to get in and be baptized were those that were Gentiles or non-Jews. And this is where they were sadly mistaken. There are true sons and daughters of Abraham, who is the father of faith, also referred to as the believer. And there are those who say they are, but they are not. That was true then, and it is true even still today. There's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, right? but they have no clue whatsoever what it means to be a Christian. They are a Christian in name 
only, right? But not in practice and not in their heart. In Galatians 6, 9, uh, 6, or Galatians 3, 6 through 9, it says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. If you are a son or daughter of faith, you are a son or daughter of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all nations. He didn't say all Jews. He said, all nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. That was his other name, the believer. That's a nice name. We call him the father of faith, but he's also called the believer. That's a nice title to have. One that we should hope that we have as well. Uh, that believer over there. You one of them believers, huh? Yes, I am. And proud of it. The question is, can you be proud of it outside of the four walls of the church? Can you be proud of it when you're at the office, when you're at school, when you're around your peoples, right? Hmm? Your homies, right? Can you be proud of it? And can you say so, right? Because the redeemed of the Lord should what? They should say so, right? I don't want no rocks crying out for me, although he is able to raise them up, isn't he? There was a little man who heard a commotion one day, but he couldn't see what was going on. So what did he do? He climbed up into a tree to see what he could see before. Hmm? This was uh, faith in action is what it was. He was climbing up into a tree because he wanted to see something. His name was Zacchaeus. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him, but Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. And while they were walking, and that is walking with Jesus, right? That's what we need to do, right? Hmm? We need to act in faith and maybe climb up into a tree, right? That seems a little extreme, doesn't it, right? Extreme cases require extreme measures, right? Huh? He wanted to see what he wanted to see. He needed to see what it is that all this commotion was about, and he got up into that tree. And then he began to walk with Jesus, right? It's not enough just to find out and hear about Jesus, but you need to walk with him once you become acquainted with him. And as they walked, they talked, didn't they? Walking and talking with Jesus, right? And then when they finally got to the house, what happened? They dined together, right? Even more intimate of a relationship, okay? This is what we need to pattern ourselves after when dealing with Jesus. And while they were walking, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. He didn't say Savior. He said Lord. What does that mean? Hmm? He didn't even realize that salvation had come to his house already, but he recognized who Jesus was. Huh? He recognized him as Lord. And what is, what is the Lord? The Lord is the ruler of your life, right? A lot of people in this world, they want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord, do they? They don't want nobody lording over their life, telling them what they, what they can and cannot do, where they can go, where they can't go, what they should say, what they shouldn't say, right? Who they can hang with, who they can't hang with, right? What habits they need to let go and what new habits they need to pick up. 
They don't want somebody telling them what to do, being the Lord over their life, because after all, what? This is my life, right? Huh? This is my life. No, this is not your life. This is God's life, and he just made you a steward of it, right? He just gave this life to you, and he wants you and expects you to bring glory and honor to him, right? But he said, behold, Lord, then he said, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. Wow. Anybody prepared to do that? Hmm? You want to take half your stuff and give it to the poor? You look kind of silly driving around in half of an expedition or an explorer, right? Huh? Living in half a house, right? With three walls instead of four, right? And a lot of wind coming through the east side, right? Huh? Clothes? You're going to give half your clothes away, half your money away, half your possessions. This is what he said that he was going to do. Well, why would he say something like that? What brought that on? Hmm? What brought that on? Well, let's see. He says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and he knew he had, right? Because he was a tax collector, right? I will give back four times as much. Wow. What happened to this man while he was up in the tree? Who did he meet up in the tree? Did he fall out of the tree and hit his head? Huh? What happened? Well, he didn't just climb the tree. He was walking and talking with Jesus, right? And something happened on the inside before he even knew what was happening on the outside. He said, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Huh? It wasn't just that he was a Jew, right? Huh? What was he? He was a spiritual son of Abraham because he acted the way that his father acted, which was in faith, right? And he demonstrated what true repentance looks like, right? What did he do? He said, I'm going to take half of my possessions and give it to the poor because I know half of this stuff ain't mine anyway. I stole it. I took it, right? And if I have defrauded, nah, nah, Zacchaeus. That just shows that he's still working on us, right? Huh? Huh? If I have. He knew he had, right? If I have defrauded anybody, I will give back four times. He had already done the math, hadn't he, right? Huh? Four times of what I have, I probably got from someone that I should not have gotten it from, right? Huh? He had a guilty conscience, didn't he, right? But more importantly, he had a repentant heart, didn't he? He wanted to make right that which was wrong, and he turned from his sin, which was what? Thievery, stealing, right? In some cases, probably extortion, right? Taking money from people, right? And he had the ledgers. He had the books. He could go back to everyone that he had taken money from and give it back to him. Oh, happy day, right? I would have loved to have been in those days having that kind of a landfall, windfall, right? Huh? Don't you want the IRS to come knocking on your door and say, we want to give back four times 
what we took from you, huh? Half of what, what I have, as I'm going to give it to you, huh? Sign me up, right? Huh? I can retire from my job and, and go into the ministry full time and not have to worry about nothing, right? Would I do that? God knows, doesn't he? <laughs> he knows what you would do too. <laughs> but this is a true picture of what repentance looks like. He got it, didn't he? John the Baptist had an encounter with some pretenders, and these pretenders were these Pharisees, these Sadducees, right? These Pharisees, the Pharisees were the legalistic ones, right? And the Sadducees were more of the political ones. Uh, they were considered to be, uh, if you want, and this, is, this came out of a, a, a study that I did, uh, the, the Pharisees were more the, the logical ones, okay? And the, uh, the Sadducees were more on the emotional side, and uh, they were likened to our two-party system that we have here in the United States of America, okay? They were conservatives, and then there were liberals, and this is the kind of attitude that they had even back in those days. And it shows that this is not a new concept, but this is how people are. You see it a lot of times in families, in marriages. You have one who is more logical thinking, and you have one who is more emotional in their thinking, and the two come together, and they make a good match, and they're able to get things done looking at things from both sides, right? That's the way that these people were supposed to be. That's the way our government is supposed to be. That's how marriages and families are supposed to operate, and it is supposed to create balance. But John the Baptist, he found some pretenders, okay? who thought that because Abraham was their biological father that they were okay, but they were not. Anybody here trying to ride somebody's coattails? Hmm? For those of you that don't know what that expression means because you are younger and you don't understand that, I know what it means. Some of y'all know what that means. Anybody think you got some VIP backstage passes? You know what that is? VIP backstage passes passes. How do you get those? It's based on who you know, right? Right? And they give you some VIP, very important person, right? Backstage passes, which means that after the concert is over, you get to go back and take pictures with the artist, with the singer, right? Huh? You get to go back and, 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 and participate in the celebration and the after party, right? Huh? But there is no such VIP, backstage pass that you are getting, right, unless Jesus gave it to you, right? That's it. There's no coattails that you're going to ride in on unless Jesus is wearing the coat, right? There's no way that you're getting in. So why did they, well, why, uh, what, what they didn't know was that their daddy couldn't save them, right? And that's what this message is entitled, Mom and Daddy Can't Save You. Mama and daddy cannot save you. They couldn't hide behind Abraham and escape the condemnation that was upon them because of their unrepented sin and blatant hypocrisy. And we see that today as well. Blatant hypocrisy is everywhere, right? These rules are for thee and not for me, right? This is what you see. Hypocrisy is really detestable, even more so when it's blatant. 
it's like a person uh, talking about your missing tooth and they walking around toothless, right? You know, it's, it's like a person talking about your hair when they're wearing a wig or they're bald-headed, right? Hmm? Uh, it, it's like somebody uh, who's wearing, you know, bifocals, and they talk about you with your bifocals, and they're wearing Coke bottles for glasses, right? Hmm? Them big thick ones, right? Huh? You remember the Coke bo- bottle glasses, right? Maybe I'm dating myself. It's like talking about a person who has a speck in their eyes, but you are walking around with a log sticking out of your own eye. Hmm? And that is something that was detestable in the sight of God and, uh, and Jesus. And Jesus, he said, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In case you think I'm making that up, that's from Matthew 7 and 5. You can look it up. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof, didn't they? They had a form of godliness. They, they looked godly. They wore their, their fancy clothes, right? They, they used religious words, right? Uh, they, they gave of their abundance, right? And they prayed real loud, right? And they told everybody how much they was given as they dropped it into the, the offering, you know, right? The trumpet was made out of metal, and they threw it in there, and it would clank all the way down into the treasury, Right? But they couldn't, they couldn't hear the little widow with the one mite as she dropped hers in. They said, did y'all hear something? No, I didn't hear nothing. What was you saying? But the Pharisee, he would rattle it, right, and then dump it in there, and it, it would rattle and go down there for a long time. And they'd be, ooh, my goodness, how righteous and holy and, right, how pious, right, that individual is. But this is the kind of people that he was speaking to. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. Hmm? They're going to be revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, behold, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And Paul had a warning to Timothy as he penned this in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5. He said, avoid such men as these. These were people that you want to stay away from. You don't want to have nothing to do with these individuals. So mama and daddy, they can't save you. What we want to do, just as we look at this through this passage, uh, Now is the time for repentance. Just keep that in mind as verses 1 through 6. Now is the time for us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3, 7 through 10. And now is the time for baptism as a show of repentance, Matthew 3, 11 through 12. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying... So this Judea that he was in in the wilderness, it was a barren wasteland. This barren wasteland was west of the Dead Sea, and it's believed that this is where the Essenes uh, lived. They had a substantial uh, community that was established there, and the Essenes were a Jewish sect that was in existence uh, at that time. There's nothing to suggest that just because he was there 
that John was one of these Essenes. But the important thing is that in second verse, his message, the message of John the Baptist was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew was sensitive to the Jew, Jewish readers of his day, and he used the word kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God. He did not use the term God or speak the name of God because his readers were primarily Jewish, and he wanted to respect them and be sensitive to that and not necessarily turn them off, right? What we have to understand is that when we are trying to reach someone, we need to try not to repel them, right? Because our goal is to reach them and not repel them. Sometimes our attitude and our methodology can cause us to repel people who would otherwise listen to us if we bring it in the right way. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And this is a reference to Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. So Jesus is accurately described as a royal king entering his kingdom. Uh, the kingdom, if, in case you didn't realize, it's already here, okay? Parts of it are already in place, but it has not been fully realized. That kingdom, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and those souls got saved and the church was birthed, is when it began. And right now, people are being added to the kingdom, but the king has not come in to take over the throne. In some respects, it's already here. As I said, it has not been completely realized, and it will be at Jesus' second coming. And we want to understand that the human hearts, uh, human hearts need to be made ready. And that's part of what he's talking about here. The way to make human hearts ready is to repent, to turn from sin and to turn towards God and make those paths straight. Uh, it had a physical idea about how a, a king would come in. They would fix all the roads. They would level it and make it such that it was suitable for him to come in. But in terms of Jesus coming into our heart, we need to make our hearts ready to receive him. And we need to make those paths straight. We need to repent, turn from sin, and turn towards God. Now, John himself had a, a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist. And his uh, food was locusts and wild honey. So John was not portrayed as some king. He was not portrayed as somebody who was uh, some great person who was coming on, although the Jews were looking for that prophet to come, weren't they? somebody in the spirit of Elijah, right? They were waiting for someone to come, and he fit the bill. He even acted like him and was dressed in a way that was consistent with the way that he was dressed. Even though he was not one who was seen as a very important person of that day, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist was a forerunner. He was one proclaiming that which was to come, and that was Jesus Christ, right? John the Baptist didn't have the full revelation like we do right now. And John the Baptist had not realized the full promise like we have up to this point, right? 
But he will be in that number, won't he? Hmm? He'll be one of those that will be waiting for us in the sky when we're caught up to meet them in the air, right? Hmm? And those who are alive and remain will also be caught up to meet them in the air, right? After the dead in Christ have been raised first. So what does the scripture tell us that we ought to do with this information? We need to encourage one another with these words. Have you shared those words with anybody recently? That's the hope of the believer, and that is what we need to be sharing with one another. Then Jerusalem was going out, it says here in verse 5, to him and all Judea and all the districts around the Jordan. So basically from Jerusalem to where they were at, it was a full day's journey. We're not talking about a full day's journey, of course, in an Escalade, or, right? Or some fancy car that can drive 70 or 80 miles an hour nonstop, right? We're talking about a day's journey by foot, right? Hmm? It took some time to get there, but a day is a day, isn't it? Right? A day on foot to do what? To repent? To be baptized? Huh? To turn from sin and to turn towards God? That's an act of faith, isn't it? Hmm? It's kind of like Zacchaeus climbing up in the tree, right? That has to come first, right? What if he showed up in Jerusalem, right, outside the door, outside the gate? Wouldn't take a whole lot of faith for somebody to come, would it? They could walk right out, get baptized, and then go back in, business as usual, right? What do we need? We need to step out on faith, don't we? We need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to... huh? do more than what we have been doing, right? And this is that act of faith. And I believe through God's divine providence that he set it up this way, right? He didn't let the the savior of the world be born in a palace. He let the savior of a world be born in a manger, right? So that all people could have access to him, right? But repentance is something that you need to be serious about and you cannot just enter into it lightly. This is not like a hop, a skip, and a jump, right? This is a full day's journey, right, in order to get there to do what? To repent and turn from sin and turn towards God and be submerged in this dirty, mucky water in the Jordan River, right? And to make matters worse, if you are a Jew and was brought up to believe that Jews don't get baptized, only Gentiles get baptized, Jews are already grafted in because of who? Their father, Abraham. And then if you add to that, you are a Pharisee who is going to be baptized? Now that takes some serious conviction, right? For that Pharisee to do a day's journey, knowing that he's the son of Abraham, he's going to walk a day, repent, be baptized like some common Gentile, right? For what? For remission hmm? of sin, to, to, com- to confess that sin, right? And that's exactly what was going on with some of these Pharisees. And it says here, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they confessed their sins. And as I said, this was a remarkable thing because these Jews from Jerusalem, they wouldn't consider themselves as being in need of uh, baptism because of who their father is. 
in Matthew uh, 3, 7 through 10, it talks about now is the time to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming from, for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Wow. Now, what kind of an invitation to baptism is that? Huh? I mean, you're not going to get many people to come and get baptized talking to them like that, right? You brood of vipers. Well, I tell you what, uh, John, if nothing else, was telling the truth, wasn't he? Right? But he, God was still maybe working on him, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> you brood of vipers. You know, and, and, and who knows? Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe he was being unctionized by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be too hard on, on John. In our day and time, maybe that's a little bit abrasive, right? A little bit too abrasive if you want to try to win folks over. But he did ask the question. He wanted to know, who told you about this, right? Huh? Who told you about the judgment that was coming? Because that's the only reason why you would get on the road for a whole day and come out here, right? You must be convinced. I want to meet this person who told you, right? Who told you? And then he called them a brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And the wrath is coming, right? It's coming. It's coming. So John wasn't holding back, was he? He says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He didn't deny him, did he? He didn't tell him, I'm not baptizing you, you brood of vipers. Huh? You Pharisee. Huh? Right? He said, come on, right? But if you come, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? Hmm? What does that mean? That means you need to act like Zacchaeus, right? Right? Put your money where your mouth is, right? Show some sign, right? Show me, show the world, show God, right, that you are serious about this repentance, right? That is the fruit, right? It is what you do afterwards that demonstrates whether or not you are, in fact, that new creation, right? Because if any man be in Christ, what? Did you notice how it starts with if? Huh? What does that mean? If means that it might not necessarily be, right? It's possible, but not guaranteed, right? Hmm? If, there's some qualifications, right? It's like an if-then statement, right? If this, then that, right? If any man be in Christ, right, then he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new, right? That is the evidence of true repentance, right? And he's telling him here, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So what does that mean, preacher? Does that mean they can't go back to the Sanhedrin, business as usual, doing what they've been doing, robbing people at the money changer tables? Huh? Does that mean they, they can't go back and defraud people? That, that, that means they can't be pious and proud and sing, do loud prayers and jingle their money in them? They can't do that no more, huh? No. That's exactly what it's saying. Right. Because you are a new creation. Right. And all those old things have passed away. They're gone. 
And how do we know that some of these Pharisees actually did repent? Well, we got at least two of them, possibly three. Hmm? Right? We got Joseph of Arimathea. We got Nicodemus, right? And possibly even Gamaliel. If you look at Acts chapter 5. Hmm? And that's just the three that was mentioned. So there were others, most likely, right? Hmm? That were part of this. And I believe even uh, Josephus back in that day. Joseph. Yeah. So when we, when we look at these different people back in those days and where they came from and what they did after they repented, they took some risks, some challenges, right? Some, some chances, right? It was risky to say, you know what? I want to take his body down and I want to put it into this tomb over here that I bought and paid for. That's risky, ain't it? Huh? It's risky to show up at the house, right? And try to ask permission for well, what you doing that for? Why you? That's risk, right? And then have to go back to your people in the Sanhedrin and try to explain all of this stuff too, right? Right? Sometimes we don't think about the consequence and the cost that's associated with, right? You may lose some family members. You may lose some friends, right? What if you have to lose your job? Whoa, now you're talking. Hmm? Because you refuse to do this, right? Because God said don't do that, but they're telling you you got to do this, right? You're going to do this, huh? Can we apply it to our lives, huh? What if your spouse says, didn't nobody tell you to become no Christian? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't marry you that way, huh? I can't stay here no more. What are you going to do, huh? What if your child says, I don't believe that, hmm? Right? They say they don't believe it no more. They want to do their own thing. It may cause you your relationship. And Jesus said, I didn't, you, you think I came to bring peace. Is that what you thought? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, right? Because when I'm done, right, and I'm paraphrasing, mother will be against daughter, right? And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and father against son. Well, how does that happen when y'all share the same blood and you live in the same house, right? You eat the same food, right? You go to the same places and do the same. How does something like that happen? There's something going on up here that makes it impossible for you to stay together. And that has to do with your knowledge of Christ, your knowledge of right and wrong, right? And the fact that you're going to make a choice, right? And they are not going to make that choice, right? Huh? towards righteousness, they have made a choice for something that is completely opposite and inconsistent, right, with what it is that you believe. And what part does light have with darkness? It can't. It has no part whatsoever. It cannot exist in the same place at the same time because light dispels darkness, right? And that's why they can't stand being home. That's why they can't stand being around you, right? That's why they scatter at the workplace, that's why when you're at school, they don't want to invite you to sit with them, right? Why? Because light dispels darkness. And Jesus said it. 
Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Right? They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Their deeds are evil, and if they do it in the light, then they will be exposed for what it is, evil. So that's why they like to hang out in the darkness, because nobody can expose their evil deeds, right? They act like cockroaches, right, that flee. As soon as you flip the light on, they're gone, right? They're not like the moth, right, that comes towards the light when you flip the light on. they like the cockroach that flies, that runs away, right, because of the light. And what does he tell them? Do you, and, and do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Don't think that you something that you're not, right? Because God can just totally dispel you, and if he wanted some children, he can speak, right? And guess what? Them rocks that you're walking on down there, they would become children, right? Because they're not too much different than what you are anyway. You ain't nothing but dust and ash anyway, right? He can take that same dust and ash and raise up some people, right, who are going to worship him the way that he deserves to be worshipped, right? He can raise up sons and daughters, right? But that's not what he wants, though, is it? He wants you to choose ye this day whom you will serve, right? He would rather have heaven filled with people who actually want to be there, right? And not people that he just created to be there, right? Huh? And that is why the angels, they look into this. They just wonder, what in the world is this thing called salvation? What is this thing called redemption? What is this thing called justification? We don't know anything about that. You're right, because you were created, right? Huh? You were created, right, to do what it is that you are doing right now. Some of y'all decided that you wanted to do otherwise because you were given the same thing, intellect and will, right? Intellect and will, just like us, right? But now you have become actualized. That is to say, you made your choice, right? You decided not to rebel with the one-third, right? Huh? Huh? Who fell? The ones that fell. Or was it two-thirds? It was two-thirds, wasn't it? Two-thirds, right? One-third. One-third fell, two-thirds stayed. Those have been in heaven, and they will continue to be in heaven, but they still don't understand that thing called grace. They don't understand that thing called mercy because they never, ever had to experience it. They never needed it, right? They never knew what, what, what sanctification was about. They never knew what glorification because they was already in their glorified state, right? They are what they are going to be, right? But we as human beings, we're not there yet, right? We are a process, right? We are a work in process, right? In progress, right? And we go from faith to faith, right? And we go from glory to glory, right? But we're not there yet, are we? They don't know anything about that, do they? These angels, right? They don't know anything about that, but God is able to raise up sons and daughters from some rocks and from ash. That's not the point. The point is, is that he wants people in heaven who actually want to be there, right? Huh? And if you don't want to be there in heaven, guess what? Heaven would be hell for you to be forced into heaven to worship and praise God all the days, right, of eternity, right, around all these 
sanctified people, these glorified people, right? And you wanted to be a hellion your whole life and turn from God, right? So what does God do? He lets you have what it is that you wanted, right? There's two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. And there are those whom God says to, your will be done. Hmm? God will say to you, thy will be done, if that's what you want. If you want to go to hell, you want to be separated from me, you will get what you want. But know this, the only thing that's keeping you right now is the grace and the mercy that I extend to all men. For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us the denying of ungodly and worldly lusts, right? Hmm? That we might live soberly, right? In this present world, looking unto the coming of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Philippians 2.11, or uh, that's uh, Titus 2.11. Yeah, so looking at what it is that God has given to us is something that we need to appreciate because the angels look into that and they desire to know what that's all about. And as we close out here, in verse 10, it says, the ax is already laid at the root of the tree. When I was coming up as a boy, my father taught me how to cut down trees out at his place in Holly. We had a single blade axe and we had a double blade axe. We had chainsaws. We had tension wires and all kinds of stuff. And he showed me how a tree was to be taken down. And once that axe would go up like this and then you just lay it there. Hmm? Once it was laid at the foot of the tree, there was no more hope for that tree. That tree did not get a second chance. That tree was about to come down, and it didn't matter how long it took to get it down. It could take an hour to get a big tree down. But it was coming down, and it was going to fall, and it was going to be cut up into pieces. It was going to be chopped up into smaller pieces, and it was going to be put into either the fireplace for the wood-burning stove, and it was going to be burned. That's what was going to happen. Jesus is saying that the axe is already laid at the base of the tree. That means the next step is it's coming back, and then chop, chop, chop. It's coming back. This is a picture of judgment. It's already laid at the root. And if it's at the root, guess what? it won't be sprouting back up again, right? There won't be no shoots coming off of there because it's laid at the root, at the base of the tree. It is going to rot. It is going to die and wither away. That's it. It's done. So what is he saying? Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what is he saying? He's saying, if you don't want the ax to be laid at your root, you need to bear some fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit of repentance, right? You need to bear some fruit of repentance. Growing up as a child, as I said, this is what I saw. And I learned how to cut the the, the trees down. and, And I never knew that that experience would help to enhance my understanding of this passage right here. That's judgment. That's judgment. There is no hope for that tree. 
once it is laid at the root of the tree. Lights out. Game over. And that's what he is saying. He was saying that to the religious establishment. They were about to be cut down, destroyed, because the new order was coming in. The truth was coming in. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's three kinds of baptism. John the Baptist, he was one who baptized for repentance, repentance of sin, turning from God, from sin and turning towards God. But then there's Christ's baptism into the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit without which no one can be saved. Romans 8 and 9 tells us that. And it started on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, and it continues until today. But then there is this Christian water baptism, right? And it is one that is done to, and is done in public so that we can demonstrate that we identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And all of these types of baptism are important. But if I would have to choose from one of them, I would definitely want Christ's baptism, hmm? right? Which cannot come without repentance, right? Huh? And without obedience, right? And with obedience, you will be water baptized too, right? <laughs> right? So the first one has to be Christ's baptism. Otherwise, the other ones are moot points. And lastly, this last verse, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, a image, a picture of dividing. A winnowing fork was used to take the wheat that had been brought in along with the chaff, and they would throw it up into the air, and the, the wind would blow the chaff because it was lighter than the wheat and the wheat would fall back down onto the winnowing floor. They would do it again. And once it was all separated, the chaff was taken, bundled up, cast into the fire. But the wheat that was left on the winnowing floor, it says, what did he do? He swept it up, right? Hmm? He swept it up. He, he thoroughly cleaned. Huh? He, th he didn't lose not one grain. One grain of, of wheat was not left. And it was all gathered up and put into the barn, which is a representation of heaven. All right? And that's what we look forward to. The true and living God of the Bible revealed to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, as it says in Hebrews 3.8. So he spoke to the patriarchs of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He warned of the judgment of his people who failed to repent. Repentance isn't about saying, I'm sorry, right? Repentance isn't about feeling ashamed or bad because you are embarrassed, right? Repentance is, is, is not about feeling ashamed or bad because you got caught, right? Hmm? It's not about regret because you got caught. But repentance is seeing your sin for what it is, a personal affront to God himself against him and his holiness, and then turning from sin to God through faith in Jesus, and walking in his righteousness and holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I look at this, I, I think about two examples 
that were given in the Old Testament and the New Testament. One is a familiar passage in 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 22, and I'm not reading all of it. Um, but it talks about how it is that Solomon finished building the palace. Uh, and he had finished the temple. He had offered up the sacrifices. And he was told by God that if the people um, did what God told them to do, if they were obedient, that all would be well with them. And the Lord appeared to Solomon at night, and he said, I have heard your prayers and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's what he said. But he said, my people. He didn't say the world. He said, my people. Do we know what kind of power we have if we want to change what's going on in this world right now? The only ones, arguably, who do have the power to change anything that's going on in this world that we see with our spiritual eyes and our physical eyes as being untoward God, huh? It is if the people of God, my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, right? Right? That's a lot of stuff. If you need to write it down, write it down. Do it step by step if you have to, right? and turn from their wicked ways, then. We just talked about if-then statements, didn't we? That's a whole lot of ifs, isn't it? Before we get to the then, right? We want to get to the then without the ifs, right? But we got to get to the ifs first before we can get to the then. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, right? Huh? And then I will heal the land. Anybody want to argue with me that this world that we live in, this land does not need to be healed? Mm. We need some healing, don't we? And it's only going to come one way, and that's through repentance. Do you see some similarities between what he was talking about there? And I would encourage you to read that. I'm not going to read it because of the time. So repentance is our only hope, turning from sin and turning towards God. This idea was continued by the Lord the same Jesus, the Lord in the New Testament. There was an occasion in the book of Luke, chapter 13, 1 through 9, talked about some believers, some Galileans, who were in offering up sacrifices. And Pilate came in and killed them with a sword, and their blood was mixed with the blood of the sacrifice. Then there was 18 individuals on whom the Tower of Siloam fell on, crushed them and killed them, Right? And Jesus said, you think that the people that was killed offering up the sacrifices and those that, the 18 people that died, do you think that they were more unrighteous or wicked than any other Galilean? Do you think this is the reason why this happened? No, that's not why. But he said that if you don't repent, you will also likewise perish. What does that mean? It doesn't matter about the circumstances of how you died. huh? It doesn't matter if it's a violent death or peacefully in your bed, right? 
it is once appointed for a man to die, and then after that, the judgment, right? But if you have not repented, you will all likewise perish. This is something that's important, not only for those that are here, but if you know anybody, if, and I know you do, you got family members, you got friends, you got a, we need to make sure that we are sharing with people that repentance is what's needed. That's the only thing. There is no other hope for us other than repentance. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord God, for this another day, another opportunity that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord God, for your word that has gone forth. We trust, Lord, that it will not come back void, but that it will accomplish that which you have purposed. We ask right now that you would touch those, Lord God, who have heard uh, this word. Uh, help them, Lord God, to come as they are, but not have the intention of staying as they are. Help them, Lord God, to, to know that now is the time for repentance, that now is the time to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, that now is the time to, for baptism by the Holy Spirit to show and demonstrate new life as a true believer. Help them to do this, Lord. We ask a special prayer, Lord God, for the local church here at NLCC. We pray, Lord God, for the universal church, Lord God, uh, that have been called by your name to humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from every wicked way so that they might hear from heaven, so that we might all hear from heaven <clears throat> that you might forgive our sins and heal this land, Lord. We, we pray for those uh, in this country and abroad who have uh, through your divine providence, been given authority over your people. We, we pray for those who, who wield power and control the levers of power in government, that they might rule wisely in accordance with the principles set forth in your word, uh, and, and that, uh, that is, is absolute and irrefutable, Lord God. And Lord God, we ask right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that there be a, 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 anyone, Lord God, in the sound of my voice who uh, who has examined themselves and found themselves to be in need of salvation. Let them come and let them come now before it is everlasting too late. Lord, we ask uh, as we prepare for um, uh, this dismissal, we ask that you would dismiss us not from your assembly uh, and not from your presence, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask, Lord, we pray and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>